Well, people of God in Christ, uh, of all the parables told by our Lord, it's probably the parable of the Good Samaritan that is best known in the church and even in the wider culture. But perhaps second uh, is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, If we didn't have the full chapter of Genesis 38 for our scripture reading this morning, I might have uh, added uh, to our reading uh, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Um, Luke records in that chapter of his gospel that Jesus told actually three parables uh, together. First, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, it's, uh, It's a parable that conveys the attention, it's really a great, greatly comforting uh, parable, the attention and the tenderness of our Lord toward each of his sheep, including you and me, uh, that he would go and find us in our wandering and bring us back. Uh, it really is a, a marvelous thought that, uh, uh, that you perhaps sit here this morning having gone astray, or if you are a believer in Christ but have never really acknowledged your uh, personal relationship to Christ, yet He is concerned for you. Uh, He is pursuing you. Um, And He will not quit until uh, He has cornered you, so to speak. And, uh, and until he lays hold of you and brings you back or brings you more fully into his fold. And that really is a, a main and, and clear emphasis of our Reformed faith, uh, that uh, yes, there is a point of decision, the decision to follow Christ. And, and if you haven't made that decision, then you need to do it today. Joshua 24, verse 15 says, Choose this day for yourself whom you will serve. And the implication is is really to say, quit straddling the fence. Uh, Stop just coming and going to and from church. Make it your first thought each morning and your your last thought each night that you are a disciple of, of Jesus Christ, depending upon Him to save you, loving Him for saving you, um, studying under His teaching and seeking to further His fame uh, in your life and throughout the world. But even more important than your commitment, that's important, your commitment to Christ, but even more important is His commitment to you. That's why... After all, we, uh, as we did uh, two weeks ago, why we baptize our children long before they can ever make a decision for Christ. It's not that we shouldn't make a decision for Christ. It's just that His decision for us is far more sure. So go, if you will. Take off and and wander away from Jesus if you want. But he will come get you. He will 
not let you go. Then in Luke 15 comes the parable of the lost coin, in which a woman, that's all it says, a a woman, loses a coin, a silver coin, it's valuable, and, and so she begins to search for it in her house. She lights a lamp in order that she might see better. She sweeps the floor in order that she might not miss it amid uh, perhaps the the dust and the refuse uh, the refuse uh, on the floor, and when she finds it, she rejoices, calling her friends and neighbors to to rejoice along with her. I, I think that's an aspect of our salvation that that is sorely neglected. That, as Jesus Himself said, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what a thought that is, that, that heaven rejoices over my salvation. Um, man has walked on the moon. Uh, man now aspires to uh, travel to Mars. But the thing that makes heaven rejoice is not anything other than one sinner that repents and believes in Jesus Christ. But then comes the parable of the prodigal son. Because it's, it's not really about sheep, and, and it's certainly not just about lost money. It's about the person, the people, the, the sinner who gets enticed by the world and, and wanders off. And, and once he finally figures it out that the world really has nothing to offer him but passing pleasures... And the sweat of hard labor, you know the story of the prodigal son, I would guess. And that even if the, sum, the, the sinner insists on learning the truth the hard way, yet as the Apostle Peter teaches, and as we heard last Sunday evening, there is time to repent. If Jesus has not yet come, there, there is time to repent. The call of Christ resounds yet once again, to come back to God with the assurance that He will receive you. He will forgive you. As all heaven rejoices upon your return. Well, we start out this way this morning because the story before us is of the earlier prodigal, we might say. Uh, But the point is not just to match up these two stories, the story of Judah and the the story of the prodigal son. Because when Jesus told the the parable of the prodigal son, he was really telling the story of the entire history of Israel. Not just Judah's story, but the story of Israel throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. But even more, it's your story. Will you admit it? And it's my story because we together are prodigals, are we not? We are given to wander every day we go astray, at least in our hearts, in our thoughts. And so we need to hear the story of Israel, not in order to say, tisk tisk, shame on Israel. And not just so that we can say, shame on me, I'm such an idiot. But so we can say, 
Yes, shame on me, wretched man that I am, but glory to God, glory to God for his love. Glory to God for his faithfulness to me in Jesus Christ. So let's take as a first point the departure of Judah. The point of Genesis 38 is, at least in part, comparison and contrast. If you uh, think back to your English days in high school or, or in college, um, uh, you had to write a paper that compared and contrasted two things, two people perhaps, or two ideas, uh, or, or whatever. Uh, well, here we have the same thing. Uh, we have just heard the beginning, at least, of the story of Joseph. And uh, after the interval of Genesis 38 this morning, we, we will continue to hear the story of Joseph but in the interval, or, or as we might say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, there's the story of Judah. Uh, and yet, the two stories are related. Because uh, Genesis 38, verse 1 says, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain, to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. Uh, the words, at that time tie the two stories together. Uh, In other words, it was immediately following, and and therefore we can infer it was because of what happened uh, with Joseph that Judah made his departure. On one hand, who can blame him? Uh, Life in the covenant family is a mess. Uh, Things are in complete disarray. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, Jacob, their father, thought Joseph was dead, and and therefore he was buried in unconsolable grief. Uh, We can can probably imagine what life was like in uh, the household of Jacob. The guilt, the misery, the the ongoing jealousy and, and bitterness, because selling their brother didn't solve the problem of their father's favoritism, which is true of all sin. Uh, we, think, we think it will make it better when we sin. Uh, it will be the solution, we think, to our problems. But it only makes things worse. And so jo- Judah, it would seem, said, enough of this. I'm out of here, as we say. Well, it's an example of how sin begets, begets sin. Uh, sin is never the solution. Uh, this gets acknowledged uh, when, we, uh, when, it, when it comes to lying. You've heard the expression, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. Lying only leads to the need for further lies. And, uh, and yet it's true of all sin. One sin leads to another. If you, if you steal something, you are likely to lie to cover it up. If you tell a lie, you might need to steal something to avoid being found out a liar. Uh, perhaps it's uh, never more true with adultery. Uh, if you are unfaithful to your spouse, then you will be tempted to cover it up with a lie. Uh, so things are a mess in this way within the covenant family, so much so, in fact, that Judah makes his departure. 
And I think this understanding of the situation is accentuated, uh, supported and accentuated by the words he he turned aside. Uh, Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. Here was Judah turning aside from the narrow way by his departure. And, and think what he was leaving behind. Much like the prodigal son, Jacob, uh, Jacob was his father and Jacob was a very rich man. Uh, he was born rich because Abraham was rich and Isaac was rich by way of uh, the inheritance he gained from Abraham. And so Jacob was rich uh, by way of what he gained from his father Isaac. Uh, perhaps we read stories like this and... Uh, and think, well, wow, everybody must have been rich in those days. Um, but the, the same was true then as it is now. What, why, why do some people succeed in business and, uh, and others fail? Uh, yes, it has much to do with talent. Uh, making money is a talent, uh, even a spiritual gift within the church. But we also know that some people do poorly in business without any fault of their own. Just doesn't work out. How do you explain it? Uh, it seems to be a unique blessing from God, a gift that God bestowed upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here now was Judah, probably so miserable by way, <clears throat> by way of his guilt for what he had done to his brother Joseph, <clears throat> and by way of his father's stubborn uh, refusal to cast a smile upon his remaining sons now that his favorite son was dead, or so he thought. So Judah was willing to depart, perhaps I would guess even eager to get out of there and be done with that scene. And, and, and in doing so, the point is that he left the covenant blessings of God behind him um, perhaps the surprising thing is that his brothers didn't do the same. But it wasn't a vacation. Uh, the report is that there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. So here we have the unfaithfulness of Judah as a second point. And, and by pointing out that this was a Canaanite father and thus a Canaanite daughter, we are given to see clearly that Judah had gone astray and that he was going further astray now by way of his desire for a wife. There's nothing wrong with wanting a wife, but uh, remember Abraham who made uh, his servant, uh, made his servant swear, even with his hand upon Abraham's loins, uh, that he would find a wife for his son, not from the Canaanite women, but from his own family back in Paddan Aram. And remember how Jacob took two wives, not from the Canaanite women, but from the family of his mother, the same family, uh, the family of his grandfather Abraham. And yet here was Judah. I mean, it's just rather stark on the page, is it not? Here was Judah astray from his family, departed from the covenant community, and uh, taking a wife simply on the basis of, hey, she's pretty attractive. I think I'll have her. 
And so the unfaithfulness of Judah continued and increased because now there are children born to him. And the text would indicate that Judah wasn't much of a father. Uh, Each son that was born to him was named not by Judah, but by his wife, the first one named Ur. I think that's ironic. It's not inspired of the... Uh, of God, Uh, but uh, obviously the name Ur sounds very much like the English word Er, E-R-R. But next comes Shelah, and uh, the text even seems to emphasize Judah's neglect as a father because note is given that Judah was in Chazib when she bore him. Why are we told this? would seem to uh, give us uh, something, at least, of a picture of an absent father leaving his wife to bear children. Obviously, he got back once in a while. Um, But uh, otherwise, an absent father leaving leaving even his wife to name their sons as they were born. And then we see again how sin leads to sin. Uh, The sin of Judah in selling his brother Joseph into slavery led to his departure from the covenant family. His departure from the covenant family led to his taking an unbelieving wife, a wife that he didn't seem to care all that much for, um, except to know her when he needed her. Uh, But then there's the exacerbation of of sin, the compounding of sin uh, in the life of Judah. Not only are we given to understand the length of time that passed while Judah lived apart from the covenant community, but, but we hear of the wickedness of Judah's sons. Uh, the first son of Judah died, even under the judgment of God. The second son was also wicked and died by the judgment of God. And uh, here's a point to recognize that the conviction of sin does not necessarily mean repentance. So you might have some conviction of your sin but have you repented of your sin there's a difference we see it here do we not because judah's response was only to neglect to give the third son lest he die too sin leads to sin which leads to sin and then more sin and more sin after that and all to the great dishonor of god and uh, also to the great hurt of, uh, of uh, many people along the way. Sin truly is a selfish thing. Um, it, is, it is to focus, sin is to focus upon oneself to the neglect of others around you. So how did God get Judah's attention? That's really what conviction for sin is, God getting the sinner's attention. The next point is the conviction of sin. And it happened in this way, that Judah's wife died and that Judah gave way to using a prostitute. Uh, That in itself would seem to bring conviction. Uh, if, If you're having to pay for sex, you ought to be able to recognize how far astray you've gone. Uh, on one hand, someone might say, hey, if Judah did it, maybe it's, maybe it's not really all that wrong. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is that it was as bad as it can be that Judah was now as far astray, perhaps, as he might be, unless he were a 
a serial killer who um, who uh, uh, did that along with going into a prostitute. Uh, but the point, you see, is corruption. Uh, the point is unfaithfulness. The point is worldliness. Uh, the point is sin in the life of Judah. But the conviction for sin was still yet to come because there was a billing problem, we might say. Uh, credit cards solved the problem in our own day and until you have to call the credit card company because there's a mistake. But, um, but Judah had no cash to pay for services rendered. Uh, what to do? Uh, so it was arranged to give a pledge, a kind of down payment, until full payment could be made. Uh, in the meantime, um, Judah became in, uh, indignant uh, to find out that his daughter-in-law uh, was pregnant, um, uh, even to the point of uh, adopting the, the pagan sentence uh, for adultery, for fornication, uh, the sentence of burning uh, a woman who has committed adultery. Um, but Tamar, that was his daughter's, uh, daughter-in-law's name, when Tamar um, let it be known that he, she was pregnant even by him, that's the point of conviction. It's not unlike David with Nathan coming to him and saying, uh, this happened, and uh, David is incensed that somebody would do that. And then Nathan says, you're the one who did it. So here's something of the same, that, uh, that Judah finally reaches that, that point of conviction by way of uh, Tamar's revelation of, uh, of the man by whom she was pregnant. Uh, he himself, Judah, being the one. And yet it's a measured conviction. Can we see? Judah said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. But that's not saying too much, is it? <laughs> she is more righteous than I. And isn't that true of every believer in Christ? That as heavy as conviction might come, we, we don't feel its fullness. We're meant to feel conviction when we uh, see Christ upon the cross with nails driven uh, through his hands and feet. We're meant to come to a point of conviction when we see the, the bleeding, the suffering, and the dying of our Savior. Uh, we're meant to know by the sacrifice of Christ how serious sin is. And yet we continue to sin. And the evidence abounds by our continued sin that we aren't as crushed under conviction as we might be, as we should be. Of course, to be fully convicted of our sin would incapacitate us, would destroy us certainly incapacitate us in trying to do anything in this life. It's, it's why God doesn't just show up in all his holiness so to destroy us in the sudden recognition of his holiness and our sin. People say, 
if God exists, why doesn't he uh, show up and make himself known to us? Which is uh, one of the reasons that Psalm 14 says uh, that it's the fool who says there is no God. People can complain all they want about uh, God not showing up, but in the meantime, it's a mercy. It's a mercy from God uh, that he doesn't just show up in all his holiness. And in the end, the judgment of God will come as God shows up. Do we understand this? Uh, we, we think, well, maybe my faith is not sufficient. Um, maybe I'm not good enough for God. Uh, what if I'm not worthy to be saved? Uh, if this is you, then, then understand that you're right. It's true. Your faith is not what it should be. You are not good enough and you're not worthy to be saved. That's all the stuff of pride. It sounds like humility, but it's actually pride. So often an unbelief buried under a whole lot of false humility. Oh, oh, how do I know if I'm saved? Oh, my faith is so weak. Surely it can't save me. Oh, oh, that God would 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 just give us a, a keyhole view, just a glimpse of his holiness, and then we would not be navel-gazing. We would not be looking at whether or not we're worthy enough. We would know that we're not worthy. And we would not hesitate to go to Christ out of some sense of our own unworthiness. In our own unworthiness, we would rush to Christ and lay hold of him so just, just an ounce, just a, a milligram of conviction under the holiness of God would leave us to say not, I'm not worthy when we're not, or my faith is not sufficient when it isn't, or how can I really know I'm saved? Instead, to say, indeed, to cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's, that's what faith is. God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, oh that, oh, that God would grant it. Then we would say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, until then, I invite you to keep coming to church, keep sitting under the preaching of God's word, but I also invite you to pray and, and long, long for the day when you might receive a, a far greater conviction than that which God gave to Judah. She's more righteous than I. What does that even mean? When we compare ourselves to another sinner, we may or may not experience conviction, but when we compare ourselves to God, as we should, because we were made in His image in the beginning, then we know we are lost. We are condemned apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so once again, the story of redemption points us forward to our need for Christ. Uh, remember that from the beginning, a son was promised, a, a son who would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, we can't read the Hebrew Scriptures rightly 
without that promise from God in mind. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, which is to say he will crush you. He will destroy you. He will bring a final end to your devices. He will bruise your head, though you shall bruise his heel. Once again, therefore, the story is told of the birth of children. Isn't it amazing? Here we are again, the birth of children. Once again, there are twins to be born. Once again, there is a struggle in the womb, as there was with Jacob and Esau. And once again, in the birth of Perez and Zerah, the sovereignty of God is made clear. Once again, the grace of God is revealed. Uh, the one hand, the one son stretches uh, forth his arm and is marked by a, a scarlet thread tied around his wrist. But the other then comes forth as firstborn and is even named for the victory, so to speak, that he won in being firstborn. And keep in mind that, that these are illegitimate sons, uh, not that they were born outside of marriage, but, but they were born out of Judah's departure, even out of his apostasy. And, and yet God is undaunted. God is always unperturbed in his plan. In fact, the, the character of his plan of salvation is made all the more clear by Judah's sin. And you and I can take this to heart because we too struggle in our, in our faith. We too are daily um, shown to be inadequate and, and, and daily insufficient in our faith. And, and yet God's plan prevails in our lives. His plan to save us prevails even by way of our failure. We are in the saving hands of a sovereign God. We are in the hands of a God who saves to the uttermost, who saves with abounding grace. And if anyone would say, well, then I'll sin, that grace may abound. Well, then you are only deepening your own misery. And you are only revealing all the more your need for a Savior. The curious thing is that, is that this is the end of the story of, J- of Judah's departure. We, unlike the parable of the prodigal son, we are not told of his return. Later, we simply can figure it out that Judah must have eventually returned to the covenant family after his years of departure and apostasy. Uh, he returned along with his sons, and, and the line of Christ even passes through him and through Perez, his son. It's almost uh, like a hiccup uh, in the plan of God to save his people from their sin. Uh, with the next chapter of Genesis, we're back to the story of Joseph and And by way of comparison, contrast, uh, we see Joseph as the righteous one, uh, sold into slavery, but living more righteously than his brother Judah. His brother Judah, who voluntarily departed. 
And so we see Christ. Uh, By way of comparison and contrast between Joseph and Judah, Judah even carrying forward the line of Christ, we see Christ who, who came as our Savior, even amid our failure, even amid our apostasy. So let me just close with another call to faith in Christ. Because that's the point. Your past apostasy, your daily departure, is only evidence that you need Christ. You need Christ to take your place. Judah certainly needed the son born to him many years later to save him. But Joseph, too, is only a foreshadowing, a a prefiguration of Christ. The story continues with the only question being, will it end with your salvation? With you as a son or a daughter born by the sovereign grace of God? The answer is found as you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how grand and glorious, how wonderful, how spectacular is your story of redemption, your grace to us, O God, in Jesus Christ. Grant, we pray, that you would give us, uh, grant that we would have faith, grant that we would receive conviction, that we would, in that conviction, look to Christ, trusting him and rejoicing that he is the all-sufficient, the once-for-all, the eternal Savior who gives to us eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen.